join us as we take a look behind the scenes with the independent musicians of Louisiana. Learn about upcoming projects before they drop. Experience the rich heritage of iconic venues and get first-hand accounts of exclusive events. Musicians are remarkable people. Get to know them, their struggles, and the inspiration for their art. NewOrleansMusicians.com is dedicated to uplifting the artists and providing them with the tools necessary to elevate their craft. We shine a spotlight on them, as well as highlight the music scene and educate everyone with our interviews, album reviews, and music scene news. This is NewOrleansMusicians.com. But uh, they, were, um, they, they, they played a couple games, I think. I mean, I didn't know the extent of it. I was still very young, but I, I remember them playing a lot in you know family gatherings. Yeah. And they were dead on, man. When did you get to see them in a public setting play? Never. None of them? No, none of them, because I was way too young. By the time I started coming of age, uh-huh. uh, once again, they had gone in separate ways. My brother Brian... All right. My brother Brian had an incident with a guy in the neighborhood. A guy had owed him money. And Brian was 18 years old when this happened. And... Uh, he went to go collect his money, and this guy was notorious. The guy's name was John L. And the guy was notorious for keeping a gun on him. He was notorious for fucking people over. And mm-hmm. this is back in, you know, uh, late 70s. So not everybody had, had gunplay back then. Not everyone. You know, if one guy got a gun in that neighborhood, you knew it. Yeah. All right, well, anyway, so Brian went and bought a 38. He didn't want to kill the guy. He didn't want to hurt the guy. He just wanted his money. You know, my brother was... He had his, he had his, he had his, he had his moments. He had his moments with him, but he was still a beautiful human being. And he wanted his money. He went knocking on the door, and the guy's wife answered the door, and Brian could see the man walking toward the hallway, and he dipped in, he dipped into a, a in, an end table. And my brother, being smart, ran out of the yard and took a position to me, I just want my money. And the guy came with a 357, and Brian popped him. Mm. And it, and <clears throat> crack shot. Hit him smack dab in the heart, dead center, and do a dip with his ground. That was in that. That was in that, you know. So, but I had never seen him in any professional setting. So my dad, uh, DJ, in professional setting over at uh, White's End, uh, over up Fillmore, uh, mm. another family ran joint. Yeah. And he had the crowd rocking, bro. And my pop played all the grades. I mean, he played, he played all the grades. Like, he, he my dad just had an ear. For music, you know, like yeah. what would make a crowd really move, and the way that he would set it up, his playlist, the way that he would set it up, it, it, with him it was more than just doing a top forty thing, see what songs are popular. It was his set list that made it groove. You know, he just how did that impact? And how old were you? How did that impact you? Deeply, it, it, it made my music. Um, more of an obsession because I love I love seeing that reaction from something that you're doing. Yeah, it impacted me so well that my side project I aptly named 1016 because that's my mom's address. I can't tear the street, but it, it that's where it all began. You know, was at that address. You know, my my impact on music. Gotcha. My love affair. Music has been with me both as an entertainment, as a disciplinary action, and as a um. As a fallback, you know, I mean, it's something I retreat to, like my saving grace. Sure. It's you know? a crutch for a lot of people, and a saving right. grace. I remember I was 
once again, still a kid, man, like probably five, six years old. And I, was, I had been fucking up at school. All my all these kids were me fucking up, you know. I'd been raising hell in school, and I got sent home. And mom tore my ass up, as, as moms do. And I fell asleep on the living room floor, man. You know, crashed out. And mom woke me up, and on Channel 12 with Janis Joplin at Woodstock. Oh shit! Yep, that, that was my first <clears throat> like big thing yeah. that, that sunk in me. And I was like, man, you know. And I'm watching this. Blue white chick, you know, we'll come up, just belting the shit out, bro. Yeah. And I didn't move. And then, you know, and so, okay, so now it has my attention. And then later on that night, I saw the man himself. I saw this guy right here, Jimmy Hendrix, get up on stage, man, and do things with a guitar I couldn't think would be done. By the way, I'm six years old at this point. Okay. I'm in kindergarten. So bro. this is a little, this is a little flashback. Right. I think there's a there's a progression, right? I mean, as a kid first discovering things, and as adults we don't realize this is happening. But a kid hears a song on the radio, he sees a music video or something. That's a performer. That's a right. superstar. That's not me or you or dad right. or mom. That's them. But then you had musical people in your family, so he got to see. Music being made by people that he felt you felt equal to all the time, right? And then fast forward to when you see your dad as a DJ, yep. you get to see him Perform. impact the crowd Bruh. and be a performer, kind of equal to the people that we see on TV. Like there's a progression, and as a child, they don't realize they could do that themselves. One one of the, one of the major performances that I saw my dad DJ, we we gave a dinner to to my brother with his. With his issues, with, with his uh, with his uh, jail things, Brown was in jail during the time from, yeah. from, from the killing, and um, it was across the track where we lived at, and bro, this place was packed. I mean, it was a dinner. It was the first time I actually see my dad do a thing at the DJ, and this thing oh, when you're a kid, I guess we're going on forever. But I was here for about two or three hours. Everybody was on the dance floor, and I mean, not one person from I remember. Yeah. Okay, not one time I can remember that the crowd dissipated, and my dad was was spinning records. That's all he was doing. Yeah. But it was his setness that got motherfuckers moving. Yeah. And bro, he closed out the night. Oh my God, closed out the night with the end all be all. Closed out the night <clears throat> with the Jackson Fives. Who's loving you? When I met you, bro, and this is a slow song, it's a slow blues song, dude, by the Jackson 5, it's an old Smokey Robinson song, and bro, the people went from, it's a slow song, you think they'd be slow dragging, fuck no, and everybody on that dance floor, I would say about maybe 150, 200 people, singing along this record, and singing, like, belting out. Yeah. Oh, and, dude, my dad, my pops had some speakers with his old TV speakers that he built. Had an 18 at the bottom, 15 to 12 on top. This thing was like this wide, about five feet tall. I can hear them over that shit. And I'm behind his, his disco machine, you know, that's what he Right, 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 right. And um, I'll, if I can find a photo, I'll show it to you. But, uh, bro, that made such an impact. I mean, I'm like, this is what I want to do. Okay, I don't give a fuck if I get paid for it or not. I mean, you know, obviously my pop's doing pretty well with it, and the crowd loves it. And this is 12 again? Uh, let's see. <coughs> this is in 78. 
This is 1978, because my brother had like, killed a guy in 78. How old? Five. Five? Five a time. It's hard to keep a five-year-old's attention span, much less mesmerize him. Yeah. You know, unless you're a cartoon or some shit, so, you know. Yeah. Maybe you were born. You were born with the the spirit. You know what I'm saying? Do I couldn't you had help it, it in you already? I couldn't help it. And, and a lot of guys I work with in the bands that I work with, they they don't really understand my obsession with doing this. You know, I mean, yeah. it, it's it's not about with me. It's it's not about notoriety. It's not about uh. It, it's not about getting to that next level, if, if so to speak. It just it, it's my literal saving grace. It's my second soul, man. Yeah. You know? And when when I watched my dad close out with that Michael Jackson song, which I mean with the Jackson Five song, I had already known that when Michael Jackson had did that, he was my age at the time when he had sung that piece. And I'm watching these people, these grown ass fuck like drunk ass men, yeah, you know, walking around hot tides and shit. Yeah. Belting out the words being sung by a five-year-old, right? And I'm trying to sing along, doing a horrible job at it. And pop tapped me up and shit, man. And I'm, I'm watching. At that point, it became my disease, you know. At yeah. that point, like, I wish I was like, I wish I could create something that can make people move the way that those people move. Sure, you know. Sure. So, fast forward to when you start making your own moves, when you start trying to get into your own band, start your own bands, things that I. Um, I had, what was your focus? Like, what was your what was your idea? What, what instrument were you playing? I was playing drums. I was playing drums at the time. I was hugely playing drums at the time. How old? Sixteen. Sixteen. I was sixteen. I mean, I, I had been playing drums in high school and all that shit, you know. But my first band, band, actually, when I played with, oddly enough, the, the show at uh, at the Municipal Auditorium, which was with my two cousins at the time. They had hired a drummer without my knowing. And I had been practicing with these guys for two years. And the guy's name, Trey, you know him, Kufaru. Kufaru, yeah. Kufaru. He used to work at with us. Yep. The guy, Kufaru, who at the time was a serious fucking conga player in New Orleans, a serious guy. It was a reggae band called House of Dread. And that would be my first band band that actually went out and played. So it was a band before that we wanted to play one gig and that was a rap. Band called Never Fall. But anyway, uh, I get to the municipal auditorium and the guys had already hired Kafaru and he did not tell me about it. And me and my cousin showed up with all my drums and shit. And my cousin waited at the time and goes, What do you want to do, man? We can go home or we can go out there. What you want to do? I'm here, man. Let's do it. What can I do? Yeah. I'm going to set up something for you. So my cousin set up his pedals, his effects pedals, for me to get up on stage and perform anyway. And it was the most embarrassing time in my life. But at that time, it was a learning experience if there ever was one. Because this fucking municipal party was sold out. It was sold out, bro. And I got up on stage thinking I'm going to play drums. And I had to adjust. On spot, you know, I was crushed, I was hurt, I was betrayed, but I was also learned that night. Sure. That, you know, 
It's a live gig, bro. Shit's gonna happen. It's out of your control. Not everything's gonna go the way you want it. You just have to duck and cover and move forward. Yeah. And I got four stage playing Black Uhuru and fucking Irish Vibration type shit. You know, guess who's coming to dinner? Pew. 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 Trying to look cool. Pew. And I was dressed to the nines, bro. You know? <laughs> I'm sitting up here, bro, pushing these, pushing these little uh, buttons on these pedals. And Kufaru is lighting the crowd up. I'm like, motherfucker. But I didn't break. I didn't duck. I didn't cover. I didn't cower. Yeah. I got up on stage knowing I had been fucked over. Knowing I had been, um, well, it's a biz. Yeah. It's a biz. There a lot of social elements in the background going on at that time. Yep. I'm sure. And uh, in front of the crowd. <laughs> And where did right, you move on to from there? I went back to playing for Neverfall, which actually worked out better, which is which is a band done by me, uh, Adam Haley, my friend Adam Haley, and John Williams. We were a three-piece. Kind of a Rush-type thing, Saga-type thing, mm-hmm. or that's a Rock-type thing. And and oddly enough, I would be using my brother's drum kit. Big-ass fucking, big-ass 12-piece gelatinous thing. Yeah. And um, we, we went out and played uh, the New Orleans Music Hall at the time. We were on stage with uh, Imani Manzi's son, uh, husband, I forgot, forgot the guy's name. Um, we went played, uh, I think Big Sun was on that, uh, Exhibit A, and Dead Eye Dick. Mm-hmm. And my good friend Matt Beeson mm-hmm. was there tonight. We, they opened up for us at Muddy Waters. This is an awesome story, bro. So Dead Eye Dick gets on stage, they do their thing. And never fall, we had the headline because Dead Eye Dick had something going on. It had to be somewhere. It didn't matter. But they stayed. Matt Beeson stayed and watched the play. We wanted to become one of my good friends later. So never fall, doing that thing on, on stage at Money Waters. <laughs> the last song I'm doing is the, the new purple, you know, the, the whole big rock thing. Right. I hit the last note and found out that somebody, for some reason, had put a door behind the drum riser on Money Waters. When I hit this, when I did this thing, the centrifugal force threw me back on the door, and I fell right out that motherfucker. Sweet. Right, right in front of me. I got Exhibit <laughs> A and Manny and them from the Arctic, you know, outside talking like I'm flying out. Like, what the fuck? I'm like, bruh. I ran back to see I'm set, bro. <laughs> so, that's beautiful, man. That is, that is. You, uh, from there... You joined another band or went to a new band, started a new band? What did you band do? called Kane, which oddly enough, uh, Neverfall was getting picked up by Sony. Neverfall was getting picked up by Sony. And uh, as things were going through. At that time? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We were making good moves. We had a, we had a beautiful manager by the name of Miss Denise Ori. She is largely responsible for my now new addiction. She stepped my addiction up for rock and roll. Because here I am, right at the time, about 18 years old, and I'm talking to the A&R guy from Sony at our rehearsal, bro. And, you know, we're, we're talking drums. I'm like, bro, this is the shit. I mean, you know, this is what, you know, yeah. this, this is cool. And I can one-up my family. And they get another adoration. I'm like, hey, guess what? I'm about to get signed, bitches. But, uh, so, but I'm sitting there, I'm talking with all these people, man, and uh, all they wanted to put Neverfall, to make it official, we needed a bassist and a rhythm guitar player. Mm. So I contacted Mike Prado and a guy by the name of, uh, almost Brad, Brad, I forgot Brad's last name. I'm sorry, Brad, if you listen to this thing. 
I forgot Brad's last name. Uh, Brad Reshoe. Ha <laughs> ha. There you go. Brad Reshoe. On the books. On the books. His family had owned a, 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 a line of shell stations. They're doing pretty well for themselves. But anyway, so I contacted Mike and Brad, who had been jammed with a band called Sherbert K. I said, listen, you know, never falls gold. Something happening with it. Look, we need a rhythm guitar player and a bassist. Let's make this happen. So we made it happen. They signed on, we're about to make things go, and uh, Adam and John decided school was more important. And they were right, because Adam Haley will go on doing work for Steve Vai. John mm-hmm. Wilson became a banker or some shit, I don't know. But so Adam. Band disbanded. It disbanded, and I would form Kane in that process. All right, and this is what year? This is uh, now in 90, uh, 89 actually. 89. 89 actually. Okay. In the 90, uh, Kane's now really, really playing. Uh, we had started playing uh, shows in the Abstract. Oddly enough, we had, we had played with Green Day at the Abstract, but they were really starting out. What was Abstract? The Abstract was a bookstore off Magazine Street. It was an all-age club, bro, and man, it was kind of like the CBGBs of New Orleans. That's the best way I can put it. It was, uh, it was like the end-all, be-all. I mean, we had Dang Bro Y, Apostasy, Kane. Abuse played there. White Zombie made it famous. Yep, White Zombie made it famous. Behind the facade is the innocent looking bookstore. That's right. Uh, one of Phillips' projects called The Satanic had played there. Mm-hmm. It, it, was a, it was a shithole if you really want to look at it, but, dude, but it was the best shithole. Yeah. It was a place where all the kids can go and have something to do, bro. You know what I mean? Like this parking lot, what it was, somebody, there was a garage in the back. Literally a garage. Okay? And somebody had built the stage. PA system was almost non-existent. Um, and they had built a, a, this rickety tower with one uh, parkan light. That, that was your lighting guy. Yeah. You, you, you had this fucking <laughs> power strip. You just click back and forth. That was, that was it, you know? It was awful. But it was the atmosphere, man. It, it, was, it was the ambiance. It was the atmosphere. It was... Um, you couldn't get... Look... To go any more underground, you would call it Hades. Yeah. Or, you know, <laughs> you know, a Valhalla. It's the fucking Petri dish, To get any more underground bro. than that, it, you could not. It's the fucking Petri dish, bro. It was. That's where the shit grows. But dude did it. It grew like an oak, you know? Yeah. Um, a lot of bands got there, I guess, I can't say start there, but from my understanding, that's where you had to go, you know, to, if you really want to branch out, mm-hmm. to network. And you, boy, believe me. Look, <clears throat> If you couldn't get gigs after playing the abstract, one of two things. One, you either totally sucked, which was impossible, okay, or you just weren't networking. You, you just weren't meeting bands. As a matter of fact, Abuse. We had a show with Abuse. It was Abuse, God Awful, Omnisense, and I think Southern Rage was on that game, like six band nights, some band nights. The place was incredibly packed. And that's where I had met Brian Strong and Jeremy Young and Jason Ramsey. And uh, for lack of a better term, we didn't really hit it off too well because abuse was doing that thing. Kane had its own thing going on. But genre-wise. Mm-hmm. So, but we got we tried to be friendly with, with each other. But I don't think we uh, hit it off very much. So I was later running to Brian Strong and Jeremy over at Lollapalooza a couple years after that. And uh, through many of being shot, uh, Brian said, yeah, man, I want to play Zeppelin. I'm like, shit, bro, Kane plays Zeppelin all the time. Fuck, I bring y'all down. 
and the rest was history. And all because of, because of the abstract, man. You know, yeah. Back then, it was just wall-to-wall musicians and artists and just all-around eccentric motherfuckers. Yeah. And I'm all of them, you know. What are... It's funny you bring that up. Kick around for a bit what you're talking about. The impact, if, if any, that Zeppelin's had on um, the rock scene. Um just, what was it? What did it do? I know it was a little monster. I used to go in and out of there myself and couldn't tell you half the time. So. That depends who you talk to. Because, see, by this, by this time... By, this by, is by early the 90s. Era, right. By, by the Zeppelin's era, yeah. people had adopted, and please forgive me for saying this, but once again, this comes from the mind Levi. People had adopted the Kurt Cobain rule. Like, if it's cool, it sucks. So, coming from me, I'm going to tell you, man, Zeppelin's, as far as I'm concerned... From my standpoint, was fucking phenomenal, man. I mean, shit. Could you could you think of a time you can go see Crowbar for five bucks? I can. I was there. Hey, bro, Fat City was a gem. Don't I, get I'm me right. don't get me to talking. Dude, look. You had Crowbar. You had Obituary. You had Seven Dust. We actually we Kane actually wanted to tour with Seven Dust because we had showed up to play Zeppelin on a Thursday night, and mm. the, the, the the one of the opening bands who was on that tour. Yeah. Couldn't do it. And Kane showed up, bro. We fucking played our asses off. And we hit it off pretty good with uh, LJ, uh, with uh, LeJean. Mm-hmm. And he said, look, man, we, we got to do it over the weekend. Not a fucking thing. Can y'all do about four dates, five dates? Like that? Sweet. Sure. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, yeah. We ain't doing shit. We're young. Let's do it. So <laughs> we threw all our shit in this fucking minivan. Sorry about that. And followed seven does, bro. Nice. I mean... Um, we weren't on the bill, obviously. Like our job was a warm up to PA. Okay. No, but so far, as far as Zeppelin's goes, uh, it was it was it was, it was, it was another great. it was another cog in the trans. It was a mecca. Yeah. It was once again from my standpoint. Anybody reading this or hearing this, oh that dude, no. My standpoint, Fat City, which is where I meet that motherfucker at right there. I'll tell you about that one. Yeah, let, let me rush you a little bit. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm sorry. We'll get back to Zeppelin's. Um, for me, bro, it was kind of a mecca, bro. I mean, I saw some Morbid Angel, Obituary. Um, I think Sepultura had played there. I went there that night. Uh, Anal Cunt. I had the guy from Anal Cunt hanging out at my house. Seth Putnam? Yep, I had Seth Putnam on yeah. hanging out at my house, bro. I lived on, I lived on Hesmer. Zeppelin's was, was, was that joint, okay? Not the biggest video on the planet, but the PA was incredible, bro. Yeah. Zeppelins could shake walls. Yeah. You know. Yeah. No, take your north. Um, I don't. I don't think the fucking size matters too much, dude. Right. The, the smallest venue I ever saw crowd surfing at was fucking Ski Lodge. <laughs> Get on that. One. Get on it. Thank you. Yeah. Get that kick. So look. So, the way it understood to me, yeah, abstract first. If, if, if you're old enough, you could play on Super Mario. At that time. At that time. What about uh, Big Top? Was Big Top there. up yet? I never played there. Was that later on? That would be that'd be right mid nineties. That'd be right around Zeppelin's at its pinnacle. I heard about Big Top. I don't play. Okay. But Ski Lodge is where I met this dude at, and that's before we had played Zeppelin's. We had to play in, in the in the pit area because there was a pool table area in Ski Lodge. I had to walk down to it. Yeah. So I had to put my drum kit on this pool table, and the rest of the band had played underneath me. I had a bad day at the funeral home. 
<laughs> so I drive up my little Nissan Pulsar. I had my entire 10-piece kit in the fucking car. Don't ask me how. Roger. So I get there. I put my kit on this fucking thing. And standing on the bar, on the bar to Ski Lodge, eight finger tapping, doing shots, smoking cigarettes, talking shit with him. We had played uh, with, with his band called Genocide Time. And right after that gig, about I think about a month or so after that, we got a call from uh, Planet to go to the North Music Hall and play with uh, them, a band called Meat Jack and Gore. And then Raw, Gore spelled back off. And bruh, that was, that was insane, okay? That was insane, because, you know, we had, Genocide would, would be Kane's brother band, okay? So we'd play around with them. Mm-hmm. And I, that, I left that nigga side since, bro, you know? And uh, so after that, would be the Zeppelin's thing, and then I would discover Last Stop, which it was the, the heavies hung out, you know? Yeah. Kirk and all them hung out at. Yeah. And uh, bruh, that was, that was, um, that that was a beauty, a beautiful part. I actually had to hear the. I got a chance to hear the Down Nola record demo. Philip had brought it in, you know, uh, sometime after midnight when the crowd had thinned out. And it was him in there, and I heard Temptations wing, and underneath everything, and uh, Eyes of the South. Yeah, wow. And, and I, I I looked at him like, look, man, huh, I don't know if you know, but dude, that's that's some badass shit, bro. That's the first time I've ever seen Last Stop stop. Yeah. You know, when, <laughs> when, when underneath everything came on, but it sounded like ZZ Top on steroids. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. You know, so that, that, that was my eye opener. My eye opener. So let's get into your current project you mentioned earlier, 1016. It's a, it's a, a callback or a tribute to the house I grew up in, in which my love and obsession. Trey, obsession, right? Not even a word? Obsession would be putting it fucking whitely. Right. Where my obsession for music grew. And not just music in general, just, look, man, my brother Avery, once again, one of the best body and men I've ever seen, ever. And I grew up in that world, and I grew up in the funeral home world. We did, we built cars, played football, worked on dead people, played music. That's what life was like. For that, for me in that residence, mm-hmm. that I mean, we 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 did those. We were like quintessential seventies fans, okay. But that that project is a um, it's a call to arms to that. It's very simple. It's blues out, very blues out. You know, mainly from my dad and my mom, and uh, just just everybody else, but mainly from those two because, well, obviously, you know, without them, we wouldn't be here. And just the experiences I had growing up there. And um, raw, not contrived, not pretentious. I mean, mm-hmm. shit, but I'm just using two finger chords. That's it. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not even playing four chords. That's how stripped down what it should be. All right. So sonically, we got what the scope is supposed to be. Yeah. Where is it supposed? To, what is it supposed to grow into? What do you? What do you have in store? What do you? What would you like to see it become? A disease to infect as many pe- people as I possibly can. All right, I dig that, but in what forms? How? Are you 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 uh, you want to gig local and then branch out, and then uh, you you trying to build a tour from there? I mean, I would like to build a tour. Yes. What is it supposed to present itself as to others once it is what you envision it to be? You see what I'm saying? Not really. I'm the, 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 how are you going to present it? 
how are you going to present it to people? You're going to come out with an album, oh, and then yeah. you're going to tour based on that album. Yes, I would like to. Okay, I would like to. I, I'm, I'm sorry, man. With 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 me in that probably project. made that much more difficult than it needed to be. No, 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 no. no. It was I'm a just, very good question. It was a very good I'm, question. I'm trying to figure out what your vision is for it, and uh, you know how that plays into the coming months. Well, I guess the best way I can put it, the vision is there's really no vision. It's kind of like touch and go, almost. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's kind of like look. Okay, put it like this. Same vision that Robert Johnson had. The same vision Led Belly had. They had no vision. They just did it. Yeah. You know. Um, but thing it was a good question, but you actually stumped me on that one. You know, <laughs> believe it or not, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> no, nah, man, um, it's, once again, as I said before, I want to infect, infect as many people as possible how I do it, as how, as how I get done. Um, but, I, like I said, the same vision that Robert Johnson and Led Belly and, and Sonny Boy Williamson had, they didn't have a vision, they just did it. Yeah. You know, um, go back to our, our, our incoming singer, a woman by the name of Jennifer Leach. She just sings, okay? I mean, she has her approach, but she sings. It doesn't matter which tune I'm in. All those guitars are tuned differently. Well, you know, but most of them are. But it, it doesn't matter if, okay, how about, I'm put it like this, right? If you say, well, we're tuning to C to the average person, the vision they mind, they're going to get a, you know, growling shit. No. It's just a tune. It's just a key. Mm-hmm. Okay? Right? It's just, it's just a fucking key, bro. Um, but this woman, she finds a note and she attacks the note. And I've only worked with her uh, about two or three times already. And I'm deeply enthralled with her, with her uh, accepting of the art form. Awesome. The reason why we're tuned to C and, and the other tunings and still playing the blues shit is to show to everyone you don't have to do blast speed to be heavy, you know. And once again, do a lot of shit I'm playing is it's just the same old blues technique, the call and response uh, technique. Yeah. Which like this, if uh, if you do this lick in the key of C, it turns out this A440. Down and put the shit like it's here, it comes to something like this. It has a whole different meaning. So, I'm going to do with this shit is to uh, get rid of that whole death core, metal core, blues core, whatever the fuck you want to call it core. It's all rock and roll, man. Yeah. You know? So, that's all I want to do with that shit, man. Run down who's in the band, full name if you got it. Trey Heflin, my brother in arms over there, uh, who's, who's my turd posture. He's my third posture. <clears throat> Trey and I, we, you know, I, I, I got to say it, man. I had to say I got to admit to it. Uh, my, my best friend, my brother in arms, uh, in fact, he wrote a song about him. Uh, but anyway, we've been butt heads, you know, on the whole creation aspect of it. Creative Trey, process. That's your creative process of a set of horns right. to, to buck with. Got Trey. This is fucking weird, man. Like, well, <laughs> this is big. But he, but he can't. But he can't. I try to introduce nuances to him, like try this, do this, and this. Yeah. 
He don't want a yes man, I can tell you that. No. I don't know him that well, but from what, what I do know of him, yes man a bullshit isn't right. neither the one of us appreciates. Like like, yeah. <laughs> That's right. a starting point. So right. run down who's in there so okay. we don't lose that. Okay, so it's Trey Eplin, uh, my cherry posture on guitar. Okay. Um Jennifer Leach, who's a singer. Jamie Kluat on bass, and uh, we're, we're in between drummers right now. We, like right now, I'm talking to a guy, I'm talking to two guys. So, it's in the rebuilding process now. On the EP that we're, you know, we're trying to finish up, uh, Tiger Agnelli singing. Okay. Uh, Brian Ordoin, who I grew up with playing drums, phenomenal fucking drummer. Uh, he's one of, he's one of the premier go-to guys in the city right now, man. He's playing with Blackwater Canal, Dang Bro Y, all kinds of people. And uh, Jamie Kluat. All right. So Jamie's been with me since the beginning. Jamie's on what? Bass. Okay. Hey, this is Levi from Misled, Southern Brutality, 1016. Look, man, we all start off as jam bands. Get together, we push our souls all throughout the speakers, man. Simple as that. The connections that we form with our crowds and followers is nothing like any other. We'd love to have you back. Click that on button, show your support, or you can check us out at Buy Me a Coffee. Backslash? Backslash? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Buy me a coffee, backslash. Backslash. That's buy me a coffee, backslash, you want music. I said, buy me a coffee, backslash, you want music. I have spoken. Yeah, 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 yeah.